listen to the word of God as it is found in the prophecy of Jeremiah, the fifth chapter, the first 13 verses. Prophecy of Jeremiah, the fifth chapter, the first 13 verses. Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now, and know, and seek in the broad places thereof. If ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. And though they say the Lord liveth, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth? Thou hast stricken them, but they have not grieved. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. Therefore I said, Surely these are poor, they are foolish, for they know not the way of the Lord, nor the judgment of their God. I will get me to the great men, and will speak unto them, for they have known the way of the Lord, and judgment of their God. But these have altogether broken the yoke, and burst the bond. Wherefore a lion out of the forest shall slay them, and a wolf of the evening shall spoil them. A leopard shall watch over their cities. Every one that goeth out then shall be torn in pieces, because their transgressions are many, and their backslidings are increased. How shall I pardon thee for this? Thy children have forsaken me, and sworn by them that are no gods. When I had fed them to the full, then they committed adultery, and assembled themselves by troops in the harlots' houses. They were as fed horses in the mornings, every one made after his neighbor's wife. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? Go ye up upon her walls and destroy, but make not a full end. Take away her battlements, for they are not the Lord's. For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously against me, saith the Lord. They have belied the Lord, and said, It is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword nor famine. And the prophets shall become wind, and the word is not in them, thus shall it be done unto them. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Because ye speak this word, behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire, and this people would, and it shall devour them. May the Lord add his blessing to this reading of his word. Let us now unite our hearts to God in prayer. Triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do lift up our hearts to thee as we are met in this thy house of prayer. We would worship and adore thee for thy matchless worth and for thy goodness to the children of men. Thou dwellest in light that no man can approach unto, but thou dwellest also in humble and in contrite hearts, which thou by thy good and holy spirit hast prepared to be thy dwelling place. Thou art infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in thy being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth, but thou dost manifest thy all this unto us thy people in condescending grace. For he who thought it not robbery to be called God, because he was God, even Jesus Christ, the Son of God, humbled himself to become man, to become one of us, to walk with us, to take our flesh unto himself, to suffer, to die on the cross, on the cruel cross of Calvary, 
there to die for our sins in our room instead, that we might nevermore be separated from God in his own body on the accursed tree that he bear for us our sins. And then he rose again from the dead for our justification, so that the life that we now live, we live, is not our own life, but our life that he lives within us, and we live because of him. And he sent forth his spirit to dwell in our hearts. Yea, in Pente on Pentecostal day, that spirit came to dwell within the hearts of his people, and he took takes the things of Christ, all that salvation that his name has wrought for us, to give it unto us, that we may have part of it, that we may belong to him, that we are adopted into his family, that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ of eternal life, if so be that we suffer here in this world, because of his name we shall also be glorified together. And now we rejoice that in our homes day by day as individuals, as fathers and as mothers with our children, we may seek thy face, we may open thy word, we may receive instruction from it and words of eternal life. But we thank thee also that thou hast set aside one day in seven under which we may cease from our labors and gather together the people of God, the redeemed, of Jesus Christ, and that we may drink the cup of consolation together, that we may receive the words of the covenant, that thou wilt speak to us, that thou wilt open unto us thy word, so that we might hear it, that thou wilt also, according to thy promise, open our hearts, that we may receive it, that we may be blessed because of our presence with thee in this house. O oh, give us, then, we beseech thee in these moments together to lift up our hearts in true devotion unto thee. Do thou condescend with thy grace, gracious spirit to give unto us those things that thou knowest that we have need of. We have need of daily bread, of food and clothing. We have need of rain. O Lord, the drought is very severe, and we beseech thee graciously that thou wilt hear and answer our petition. For Elijah was a man of like passions unto us, and he prayed for rain. Teach us to pray. For the vanities of the nations cannot give rain, neither can the clouds give rain, but thou hast created all these things. Thou dost rule them, thou dost control them. Thou dost bid them give us rain. Give us rain and, and sunshine in season. And then we think of the poverty-stricken people of hungry India and of the nations where they have constantly to suffer from drought Oh, we beseech thee, grant provision for them by ways and means beyond our calculation. O oh, thou sovereign God, sovereign among men, sovereign among nations, do thou rule and overrule for the furtherance of thy cause, for the establishment of justice and of peace among men, for the spread of the gospel unto the ends of earth, that the day may be hastened when the knowledge of God shall fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Bless this congregation and him who ministers to it week by week, that it may be nourished and be brought up, the children be brought up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And together we here at this place may grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We pray for the Presbyterian Church. Now in particular we are anxious about it. We would beseech thee that thou wilt be merciful unto it and gracious, that thy people within it may realize 
that they have a responsibility of witnessing for thee and unto thy name in the midst of a day of apostasy. Oh, bring, bring back, we pray, thy people unto thyself. Bring thy church that has gone astray from thee to its confession of the name of Jesus as the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And may they humble themselves, thy people, as they did in days of yore, even in this our blessed land. And now we beseech thee for this land, and we give thee thanks for it on this occasion in particular, as on the morrow we celebrate the birthday of this land, of our nation. We thank thee for those who in early days fought that we might be set free. We thank thee for the liberties that we still enjoy, and beseech thee, conserve them unto us by thy wise providence, in spite of our sinfulness and our waywardness. We do not deserve it. We have long since, through our ill deserts, deserved only slavery. But will thou give us grace that we as a nation may return to the God of our fathers. And now look down from heaven thy dwelling place, upon thy church, upon us this evening, upon all thy people wherever they meet, upon the sick and the sorrowing and the needy, upon those that would worship with thy people but cannot because of age and infirmity in hospitals and nursing homes, wherever they are found, the true children of God yearning for thy presence, lifting up their hearts and their voices unto thee. Do thou hear from heaven thy dwelling place and answer the prayers of thy people as they lift their hearts unto the heavens and beseech thee, come Lord Jesus, Come thou quickly, receive thy church as a bride spotless, without wrinkle or any such thing, to be into thy, come into thy presence, world without end. For Jesus' sake, amen. Let us now sing together from number 155. 155.
offering will at this time be received. unto thee for that greatest gift which thou hast given unto us, even Jesus Christ, thy Son, our Savior. For his name accept these gifts of ours and bless them to their intended use. For his sake. Amen. Let us now listen to the prophecy of Jeremiah in the twelfth and the thirteenth verses of the fifth chapter, chapter 5, the verses 12 and 13. They have belied the Lord and said, It is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword nor famine, and the prophet shall become wind, and the word is not in them. Thus shall it be done unto them. Tomorrow is the 4th of July, and in the olden days when I was a boy on the farm in Indiana, each of us got a dime with which to celebrate the 4th of July, and a dime bought two ice creams, and that was more than we got all year long outside of the 4th of July. That's as much as the 4th of July meant to us. I was a boy come from Holland, 10 years of age, and America was the greatest country in the world that's ever been that to me since then, much as I appreciated my old country too. The reason for saying it is that we ought to be patriotic and celebrate for all that we are worth. The fact that God has given us this country, it's a bit warm here tonight to be sure of this, but it is a great blessing that because of warmth and sunshine and rain in season, as we usually have, there has always been an abundance of crops, plenty to eat, never any cause for concern with respect to starvation as in many other lands. People have been abundantly blessed throughout the history of this land. We ought to appreciate it. What do we do about it? Well, we tell our children about it, do we not? We are anxious to have them learn about George Washington, the father of his country. We teach them about the Revolutionary War, do we not? And the battles of the Revolutionary War. When people come from the Midwest to us to see us, where do we take them? to see the Liberty Bell, of course, and George Washington's pew in the church where he used to worship, and Betsy Ross's flag house, everything else, Valley Forge, the great battle of that winter, we talk about it, we tell our children about it, and then we tell them about the Civil War, 
and we take them to Gettysburg. And now that the Hall of Presidents is there, we have them listen to each one of the presidents in those wax figures as they speak to us and they look at us and they tell us about what they did in their time and what their responsibilities were and how our country has now become what it has become because of this history. Now, why do I say this? Well, for the reason that it is true in itself, first of all, but also because it illustrates admirably and succinctly Jeremiah's prophecy. Because, you see, this people was a chosen people in a different sense than we are as an American nation, a privileged people, but we are not God's chosen people as this people, Israel, was. And God had led them out, as he tells us oft times through the prophets, with a strong hand and outstretched arms, as on eagles' wings, he carried them across the desert wild into the promised land, flowing with milk and honey, provided they listened to the words of God. But they hadn't done this. And now then, we have reached the stage toward the end of the history of that nation. It's not very long before the exile is going to come when this people whom the Lord had chosen and had taken so much pains to bring into the promised land, he's going to chase them right out of there. And he's going to banish them from his presence and he's going to send them in exile for all their sins. And Jeremiah has to tell them this. And Jeremiah doesn't like it. But Jehovah, the covenant God, tells Jeremiah, don't fail to do to this people to tell them what I am telling you to tell them. Do not be afraid of their looks. They won't like it. They'll stare you in the face and they say, what do you know about it? And you're unpatriotic and you're siding with the enemy. That's what they'll tell, tell Jeremiah pretty soon. They did and they wanted to kill him. They put him in an old deep well and he sunk in almost up to, up to his neck until somebody, mercifully, a colored man, pulled him out. Well, it was this prophecy Jeremiah that had this message of doom to tell this people because they had broken the covenant. Now the Lord had been up early, he tells us, sending prophets, getting up early, making a point of doing that the first thing in the morning, sending prophets to his people to tell them that they must teach their children that they are this chosen people. Now then, look at what happened and the circumstances as they have developed this practical atheism. Now we want to speak of this practical atheism this evening briefly, first noticing how it grew, what, what caused it to come about. Then secondly, what it looked like when it was grown up, when it was full blown, full blown, and then to ask how do you get rid of it, what's the cure for it, if any. Now, the Lord, it is not he, said they. Now, it doesn't easy to understand this by itself unless you take it in its, in its setting. The Lord, it is not he. What is not he? And who is not he? Well, the prophet comes with a prophecy of doom. There's going to be no rain, he says. And you will starve, he says, unless you obey. That's what he says. And that means that the Lord controls the rain. Now, they have long since forgotten, we are told, to ask the Lord about the Lord who gives us the early and the latter rain. They've no longer thought of rain as coming from any other place than from the clouds. Well, rain does come from the clouds, but the prophet distinctly says the clouds cannot of themselves give rain. They have no power. They are created entities by God. It's 
God, the creator of these things, that tells the clouds to give rain. And so the prophet must tell this people there's going to be a drought. And then in the middle of this prophecy, we hear of a special prophecy of the drought that came. Now, this covenant people must serve God in the dimension, the field, the area of rain and sunshine. We must pray about daily bread, our food and drink and clothing. Now, we know that these things come indirectly through our labor and that they come through rain and sunshine and all kinds of factors. But if it were not for God, in Christ our Savior, giving us these things through these means, he, will, he can withhold them. And he is at the moment seemingly determined to give us a taste of what it is like when he withholds rain from us. Now then, this is the first thing that happens, and the Lord, as it were, comes down to see the situation. Now, as I was brought up in a farm in Indiana, my father brought a, bought a 25-acre piece of ground. It was a wilderness, and we had to rub out the trees and the stumps and the weeds, and then begin to plant onions and carrots and beets and sweet corn and melons and all of that. And then we had to work. And when the rain came in the June and I came back from Calvin College and the rains came and you got heat like this, then you got weeds, weeds, and more weeds galore. And then you have to be there six o'clock in the morning to cultivate and to weed and get rid of those weeds or you wouldn't have crops because the crops would be choked under by the weeds. Now, we put a lot of fertilizer, manure from Chicago stockyards on that little farm and that made the stuff grow faster and faster, but it made the weeds grow faster and faster just as well as the cabbage and the potatoes and the melons. And that meant you had to work faster and harder against that, that weed or else you wouldn't have any crops. Now suppose that a farmer would plant his seed and Jehovah says, he comes back to look at the situation about the middle of the summertime when the first ripe crops are supposed to be in. This time, last week in June, first week in July, string beans come in, lettuce and things of that sort. What's there? Nothing but weeds. The people haven't cultivated. Well, this is what the situation is like in this last part of the history of this covenant people. They have not cultivated their garden. They have not done what they were specifically told to do, to tell their children the difference between their God and the gods of the nation. Now, you recall when they were brought into the land that the Jordan was split in twain, and they walked dry shod right through, and they must take twelve stones out of the bottom of the river and put them on a pile, make a monument out of it as it were an altar, and then later on, when Joseph and Mary would go out walking with Daddy, and they would say, Daddy, what does this mean? What are these stones here for, this pile of stones? Then Daddy would say to Joseph, can you swim that Jordan? No, he can't swim. He's a good swimmer, but he can't swim the swelling Jordan. No, but once upon a time, our fathers, in the early time of our history, this river stood dry and the water stood still, and we, the people, walked through that's the kind of God we have, Johnny. Now, that's our God. The other gods, they are deader than a doornail. They are the manufactured items of man's imagination. They can do nothing. They have no power of their own. They're constructed. 
They're self-constructed. Ours is the living God. In Jeremiah 10, verse 10, you have these statements, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, and the nations cannot abide his indignation. We have much God is dead theology today. We hear books, we see books written about God is dead, or we see one book with the title Christian Atheism. Well, that's the sort of thing we're speaking of. We're not speaking of the American Association for the Advancement of Atheism, the four A's, but we are speaking of practical atheism in the Church of Jesus Christ, when people who are so-called Christian people are not in practice Christian people because they don't pray for rain, because they do not pray and speak to God and talk to him about the needs of the body, their health, and all the means that are available to them in this respect. Now, to be sure, sometimes when it gets very bad, then they will suddenly remember that they have a God who used to do those things, and then they will remember that they have a Westminster Confession of Faith. Just now they are trying to put in a new confession in which God, the God that is worshipped, does not have anything to do with rain, in which science rules instead of God. But once in a while they remember the God of the Westminster Confession who did create and who did have control and who did give rain and who could stop rain. And then on those occasions when the other nations suppressed them and oppressed them, then they would cry unto the Lord, O Lord God of Abraham, help us. And then the Lord doesn't like it. He says, if you don't serve me all the time, you don't have to come to me when you're in a foxhole. This is foxhole religion. Religion in distress, and only religion in distress. Now that's the situation that the Lord finds as he looks down and he comes and he sends Jeremiah his prophet. And then he says, as a result of this survey, the heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? Who can know the wickedness of the human heart? And then he says, the nations of the world, yes, they are covenant breakers. They are not God's people. They have not the sign of the covenant. And I have no dealings with them in the sense that I do not redeem them. And I have not with a strong hand and an outstretched arm through the wilderness in which no water was and where no man dwelt. But for this people that is supposed to be serving me, that has the sign of the covenant, they are just like the others, nay, they are worse than the others. When a piece of ground has been cultivated, has been fertilized, has been fertilized, then the weeds, if they're not disturbed, they grow bigger and fatter on this land than they grow out in the wild, where they've had no fertilization. Now, don't you see? That's why the sins in God's covenant people and those that have the mark and the seal of the covenant upon their foreheads in baptism, when they do not respond, when they do not say unto God, recognize them with respect to former and latter reign, and do it always and not formally, then they are, in God's sight, far worse. They are covenant breakers in a double sense and that which he speaks of, the words of this covenant will come upon them. That means the wrath that is spoken of in this covenant will come upon them. And they will twice over 
the children of hell because they have not listened to my voice. Now it isn't pleasant for Jeremiah to come with a message of this sort to this people. But the message is basically still a message of grace. Of course it is. This is a last warning. Well, to be sure, when he looks the situation over, it is so serious that it seems well nigh to be hopeless. How hopeless it is. It seems particularly from the fact that when he looks at it, the prophet Jeremiah, he says, Oh, that my head were a fountain of tears. I would weep with my people. I would weep alone apart from my people about this people. But weeping doesn't help anymore at all. Of course, it indicates his own deep concern, his existentialism with respect to this, if you will. But it does not in itself help. What can help? Well, you say, he says he's tired of it. He wants two weeks vacation. Oh, that I had a house, a little house by myself that I could separate myself from this people, he says. But he can't get out of it. He's right in the midst of it. He has no vacation, this preacher. He's never going to have any. Oh, he says, thy word, I would not speak of it, but it's burning in my own bones. I can't help but speak of it. I must speak of it. And thou hast called me from my mother's womb and sanctified me for that very purpose. How could I stop and speak? Because I'm concerned for this people. I love this people. They are my people. They are the objects of God's redemptive grace. What's lacking in them now is that they're not historically conscious, not redemptively conscious, and they haven't taught their children this. And so the young people, the next generation, has grown up to say, well, the Lord, who is he? it isn't he that does these things. The Lord, it is not he that brings rain. And when the prophet says you're going to have drought, then let that come to the prophet. If you think that that praying has anything to do with ordinary things of life, then you can have the curse, that kind of a curse come upon you. We are not worried about it. We're not concerned about it. Science has taught us that rain comes from clouds and that sociality rules the things of, of politics. They were warned not to make alliances with Egypt and with Assyria. Why didst thou about so, says the prophet, says the Lord. They were told to trust in Jehovah and not the greatest nation could stop them from accomplishing their purpose in history, bringing forth the Messiah. But when they don't about, and when they're not conscious of their politics, they don't get their political instruction from God, nor their social, nor their economic, any more than their daily affair instruction. And then worst of all, they become formalistic they are told we are delivered to do these things. Now that gets to the very bottom. The Lord says, Shall you do all those wicked things? Shall you break all my laws? He says, and then say we are delivered, we are priests, and we can do what we please. Oh, the Lord, this people has committed a twofold sin. They have forsaken me the fountain of living waters. And they have hewn out for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. Now imagine in this kind of hot weather that we're having. And you've got a cool flowing spring. Are you going to forsake that? And are you going to put some, some rain water that has been standing there for weeks and that it's collected worms? 
And if there's any left at all, are you going to drink out of those cisterns instead of go to the spring? In the desert, the Lord opened the spring of living water. And Christ Jesus is that spring, that living water for his people to have forsaken him. They've used them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So foolish has this people become. And so then the last extremity would seem to be that the prophet realizes he must pray for this people. <clears throat> but the Lord says, do not pray for this people, nor lift up voice, nor cry in their behalf, because I will not hear them. And though Moses and Samuel stood before me, Moses who prayed that his name might be blotted out of the book of life in the interest of the salvation of this people, so Moses should pray for this people. I wouldn't listen to Moses, and I wouldn't listen to Samuel. And though Jeconiah the king were as a signet ring, a wedding ring, on my finger, and though they plead the covenant, that the covenant means we are wedded to the Lord, and he can't forsake us, I will forsake them, because they have broken the covenant. Now, that means the situation is hopeless. Hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. So it would seem. And yet the prophet does not give up. Hast thou utterly forsaken us? Do not forsake the name of the throne of thy glory. Thou canst not forsake us because thou hast promised to Abraham our father, do not forsake us. And it is that alone that in the end brings results. Now the people are going to exile. The Lord is going to execute his punishment upon them. But he will not bring a final end with them. He will remember the covenant. He will still be merciful unto them. And then there is that promise of Jeremiah 31, 31. That behold, the days come when I shall make a new covenant, not like the covenant that I made with them when I led them by the hand out of Egypt. But I will give them a new heart, and I will write my name, my law, on their hearts. And then they will follow me. Then they will repent. And then they will hear, I will hear them when they pray for rain. And they will serve me always. And that is our hope, our only hope today. The situation in the church at present is seemingly well nigh desperate. This new confession of 1967 would hand over the church to unbelief, period. But it is up to us, to our God's people still, not to stop praying in spite of the hopelessness of the situation as it seems. For God will answer still, he has promised so to do. <clears throat> Let us pray. <clears throat> our Father and our God, we do thank thee that thou hast promised us that we Though the situation might seem to be utterly hopeless, should nevertheless seek thy face. <clears throat> we seek thy face for the church of Jesus Christ in its apostasy. May she return unto thee and grant us as thy people to repent of our sins, of failing to pray to thee with respect to the things of daily life, of praying always in every circumstance. And forgive us now of our sins and hear us and grant us thy grace for Jesus' sake. Amen.